1: friends, thank you for tuning into to Truth and Justice. You are listening to the Friday Fallout for Season 13 and the Murder of Jody Jones, Part 2. We have a lot to talk about this week as Bob broke down the timeline for Luke and Jody on the night in question. On top of all that, we have Delphi News and Adnan News. I'm happy to be back, and as always, I'm joined by Bob and Janet, and I cannot wait to discuss all this with you. But before we jump into that, I have one quick housekeeping we're going to get out of the way really quick. It is not a good housekeeping, it's a sad housekeeping. That's an update. That's an update. It's not housekeeping. I apologize. It's a sad update. Uh, my case from a few weeks back, Gus Red Eagle. Um, he was found deceased, and uh, they just had a funeral for him this past week. And were you able?
2: Because so Erica, uh, Erica Cantor, who's been doing a fantastic job of keeping us updated with his missing persons cases. And by the way, we're gonna we're gonna triple up next week on them because we just have so much to cover this week. I do have some that Erica has sent us, but we just don't have time today. Uh, but Erica had found. Uh, she had a Google alert set and found uh, an obituary for Gus. Mm-hmm. And that's all we could find. We couldn't mm-hmm. find, find anything, anything else mm. that said what happened.
1: Even, even on the, the, the sibling social media, there was not, I mean, there was mention of the funeral, but there was no mention of like ever finding a body or anything like that. So oh. it's a, it's a sad update, but one that needs to be brought forth.
2: Yeah. Yep. So that's uh, and it's a couple of weeks. Well, in the last three weeks, we've had two of the missing person cases who have been found, but it was uh, sad news. They were not found alive. So um, that's going on. We're going to have more missing persons cases for next week. Uh, there is also, if you look on the Truth and Justice fan page, Jarrett Brooks case, which I believe was the last one that we covered from Arizona. Uh, they're doing a large area search for him. And I believe there is a link where they're requesting some funds to help with equipment and stuff for that search. So, if you're on the uh, official Truth and Justice podcast fans page, um, uh, we'll look for that post. I'll try to have it pinned. Uh, if anybody can can donate or participate in the search uh, for Jarrett, that would be great. And uh, with that, we got to keep it on, keep right on moving today because we've got a bunch of questions about Luke and Jody's case, and uh, a couple updates about Ednan's case, and a pretty crazy big update about the Delphi case that we want to talk about. Um, to start off with, so Adnan uh, did actually a press conference today from his house, and uh, Janet in just a minute is going to talk about that because I didn't, I wasn't able to see all of it. She saw all of it um, prior to that uh, in the Adnan Adnan uh, space. So I officially over the weekend, about a week and a half later, got a response from Brett, and they have declined to do a public. Conversation slash debate about the case. He had already said they didn't want to do a debate, and I had told him that you know it doesn't need to be a debate. We just, I would just like us to have a friendly conversation, and not these, you know, the you know. And I had told him, I said we should show people that we can disagree about a case and have a friendly conversation about it. He finally got back to me and said that there is uh, there's there's too much heat and vitriol going around now, so they don't think that's a good idea. He wished wished me luck and. That was the end of that. I did reply and said that I think the heat and vitriol are all the more reason for us to get together and have a conversation uh, and didn't hear back from that. So that is uh, the the crossover episode is it sounds like unless something changes is not going to happen. Uh, What I did tell you guys is that if they were not going to come on and and defend their work, because at this point, that's the way I feel about it is they waited in and decided to cover an active case that is currently being litigated. They have I'm going to be very blunt here and it's going to upset some people but I'm 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 going to I'm going to call it like it is. They misrepresented evidence. They flat out lied on multiple occasions in order to convince lots of people that Adnan is guilty and they are if you've been listening to the reply, the reply brief on Patreon you see, that's this is, I, I'm not sharing opinions with you on the case. I'm not arguing about what people think. What I'm pointing out are things where they say the evidence says something, like they say a witness said something in particular, and that's not at all what they actually said. And I'm correcting that record over and over and over again. But this is, I can't stress enough, and Jana's going to get into this here in a second. This is an active case that is currently being litigated. They are professional prosecutors, and they chose for some reason to take this and lie and misrepresent evidence to make their case. And it it will have and has had an effect on the support and the pressure that's being put on this to actually find Hayes Killer. So since they will not come on and defend their work and answer questions that I have regarding. Why did you say this was fact when it is not fact? And I can show you the documents. Because of that, I am going to release the reply brief on the public feed. We're going to finish Luke's case here. I'm going to finish the reply brief episodes on Patreon as promised. And then I'm going to take the reply brief episodes and start releasing them on the public feed for everyone to hear. So for those of you that have been out there that have that have said, "Oh, you're hiding it behind a paywall." It's going to be out there for all the public to see, and I will go on any podcast and I will I will have a discussion and a debate with anybody who wants to that wants to question the facts that I put forth in that that repri- reply brief series. Because every single thing that I'm saying in there to the best of my ability and knowledge is fact-checked. It is gone over with a fine tooth comb over and over again. If I am wrong about something, I am willing to publicly have that conversation and either explain why I thought what I thought or admit that I got something wrong. But it is critically important to me that real justice is served in this case, that Adnan remains free because he absolutely 100% is an innocent man. And that's easily proven. This case is not complicated. He is very clearly and easily proven innocent. And that means that Heyman Lee's killer is still out there and I'll be damned if I'm going to sit back and let all this pressure stop her killer from being found. So that stuff is coming out in the public feed. So if you can't afford the, you're going to have to wait a little bit uh, until we put them out. But if you can't afford or just don't want to pay money for those episodes, if you just wait a little bit, They are going to come on the feed, and that'll also work for us. It'll give me time when those episodes are dropping for me to prep for our next season. So that is coming along those lines because of this absolute disaster and mess that the prosecutors have created. I don't know if that's what prompted it, but it seems like all this negative pressure that's been put out there, we finally hear from Adnan, and he did a press conference today. And, Janet, I'll let you uh, quickly talk about what went on with that press conference.
3: Yeah, um, I mean, I think you're, you're right. And I, my hope is that instead of, in the long term, instead of this being something that created a tremendous amount of stress and negativity and vitriol and poison and hate spewed in the direction of a family and families that have already gone through so much, I hope that in the long term, this actually does something good because at the end of the day, it's still shining a light on the truth. And if you try to obscure that and make a lot of noise about it, um, Eventually, the light's still on. So that dirt is going to wash away. And I hope that Ednan feels good about and his family feels good about the press conference. I don't want them to feel forced into it because they've had to somehow defend themselves better or differently than they have done with their legal team in the past, that Ednan has done with the hundreds of hours of conversations that he's had with reporters in the past, including Sarah Koenig. And so, he, but he did at, from their living room. There he was. There, members of his family were. Uh, His father, of course, was not there because he's ill, and so he was um, resting. And it was all very real. And Adnan, I thought, uh, this is all... Listen, when I talk about my feelings, these are my feelings. I know he's innocent. Say what you will. My feelings are, he represented himself very, very well. I thought he came off so well-spoken, so well-presented. He very clearly laid out the kind of uh, miscarriage of justice that was occurring from day one of the trial from the racist behavior of the prosecutor's office to the uh, miscarriage of age problems that then didn't get corrected and he just stayed in jail and then prison and then he did very similarly to what you did and i saw that you shouted this out to uh just a few moments ago um uh, i'm trying to remember anna there you are anna that he listed off all the judges that said that he did not get a fair trial, perhaps in response to some people wagging their tongues about the idea that he got a fair trial. Uh, he was like, let me go ahead and outline for you all of the judges who get their jobs because they're qualified. But
2: all seven, judges, all
3: seven cool. judges who found in favor of. Ednan not having gotten a fair trial. So this is not something that's just like the opinion of a few lay people and the real experts know that it was fair. It's not a cop out. It's not a cop out. Uh, so anyway, he was able to address that. He played some video of Kevin Urich and they implored the attorney general to investigate the prosecutorial misconduct at minimum of Kevin Urich. It is provable. They have another person who is coming forward with an affidavit proving from their evidence that Kevin Urich lied. So they're getting even more information out into the world that someone else who's extremely credible, who has not yet been named, is supplying evidence that he lied and falsified non-facts to railroad this case. I guess that sounds crazy unless you can prove that it happened and you can so that was his opportunity and then he took some questions from the press. The press I thought asked some really interesting questions. They asked if he was prepared to go back to prison if he had to. He said he would respect the law in that way and that he would be with people that he deeply cares about, but he is very worried about his family and what it will do to them. He spoke about uh believing very strongly in victims' rights with respect to Hayes' family and all other victims' families and trying to find that balance, but also understanding that the law needs to represent all parties in a fair and balanced way, and that uh, this has gone in a direction that puts his own family in a sort of jeopardy. And so they are saying, we will not get justice for Hay if all of this parliamentary conversation, and I say that with all respect to Hay's family, I truly do, if all of this pulls away the focus, which was The prosecution has zero case. They themselves, their office in the state of Maryland, says they have nothing. Then why aren't we focusing on who did this? So that is what we are asking. Hold the people who are keeping that from happening. Hold them responsible. Hold them responsible for not bringing a killer to justice and for putting someone else in prison. And find the person who did it. Do your jobs. Stop making it about covering up your colleagues. Sorry.
2: Amen. I want to reply quickly to Chris in the YouTube chat uh, who says she, she hasn't listened to the prosecutor but she said, what you, I'm saying they lied. Haven't they analyzed, speaking of the prosecutor's podcast, haven't they analyzed the same evidence as you as, and just came to a different conclusion? Chris, so yes, they analyzed the same evidence as me. The problem is they lied and misrepresented what that evidence said in order to get to a conclusion that seems to be preconceived. Quick example. This is one of of literally dozens that, that I, I point out Uh, in the episode that I'm covering in tomorrow, which will be this, this Wednesday will be the next reply brief episode. They said, Jay says that he took Adnan back to track practice about four o'clock because, because that's when track practice started. So They say things like that and they get people to like, oh yeah, and then they make a point how yeah, of course Adnan was at track practice. He was creating an alibi. The problem is that's not at all what Jay said. Jay said that after they dropped off Hayes car uh, that they drove around, went to the other side of town to Patapsco State Park and they smoked weed while watching the sunset over the cliff. Sunset was at 5.05pm and then after that he took him back to track for, to make an appearance. So it's things like that. they 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 aren't work they have the evidence, but they are just they're just making shit up in order to make their narrative fit. That's not in the evidence. They're not even cherry picking. In many cases, they're only like pulling out part of a statement to try to make something work. But in other cases, like that, they are they are quite literally just making something up and straight up lying about what the record says. So it's it's not about their opinions. It's not about their conclusions. The problem is that they are intentionally misrepresenting facts. Uh, at least in, in my opinion, it very much appears to be intentional. I don't know how it can't be when they quote line one from a from a document, line five from a document, and line 10 from a document, and they don't tell you about lines three, four, six, eight, that all contradict what they're saying. They skip over that. That seems very intentional to me. But with that being said, Janet, thank you very much for uh, not only your recap, but I, I love the passion, and, uh, and this is this is why we're here. I think it's I think it comes through pretty clear. I hope for anybody that's hearing this, why I'm doing what I'm doing with the anon case, and why Janet is here volunteering every week to do this work. This isn't a game for us. This is something that we are truly passionate about, and that's why we're here. And we're gonna. I, I would love to talk about this for another hour, but th- but we don't have time because. <laughs> At the same time that all this is going on, we got a bombshell of a brief filed in the Delphi case by Richard Allen's defense. I read it last night and then sent it over to Zach, and he read it, and Zach has has thoroughly researched. I'll let Zach explain what was was written about in that reply brief. One thing I'll tell you before before he starts real quick, remember what we heard. We've been hearing for all these years in that case. Was that there was a very specific signature at the crime scene we always heard about the signature but they would never told, told us what the signature was now we know what it is
1: So to start what this was is that the defense, the defense dropped a motion for Frank uh, Frank's hearing, which essentially says that they illegally obtained a search warrant for Richard Allen, their client, based on the fact that there is exculpatory evidence out there for him that could prove that he did not do this. Now, we all have our spots where we stand on this. That's not what I'm talking about at the moment. This is just what the document says. So in the document, if you haven't read it, it is extremely graphic in portions. So,
3: Content advisory, yeah.
1: Yeah, content advisory. I'm not going to get too crazy on, on talking about it. You can go read it for yourselves. But one thing we know is that it has never been released what the crime scene looked like or what the bodies look like. Um, we just recently found out how the, the way that they were killed. Um, but in this document, they lay out specifically how everything is laid out on the crime scene including the bodies the positioning of the bodies the way the crime scene it's graphic and I'm trying to hold back on saying anything too crazy but what we now know is that the signatures that have been left are sticks that have been freshly cut and formed in the shape of runes of of Nordic runes and placed on the bodies which is a whole nother realm that we haven't Dove into yet. I mean, this is real quickly.
2: Can you explain what what you mean by runes?
1: So, in the the Nordic culture, they're basically they're letters, they're symbols that mean different things. This all kind of goes back to the Nordic culture. To there's a religion called Odinism that is becomes a big part of this that we're moving forward into. So, what it is is these these symbols that mean different things, just like in every other, I don't know what you want to call every other religion. Every they, yeah. they all have symbols and meanings. So on the bodies there are sticks that are freshly cut and formed onto the body that shape these runes Um, we have never heard this before we don't know anything about this Um, but the big thing is it looks like it's premeditated because these sticks have been cut clean they're not broken off Um, another big portion of this is is this odinism idea and i and i know that you know we've discussed it off the air a little bit but that there is this religious sect that's that's considered odinism they can their members are odinites uh that has seemed to be kind of taken over by white supremacists at least that's what the defense is trying to say here and what we now know is that abby's boyfriend or ex-boyfriend's father is part of this religion and and the document just kind of continues to build off of the idea that the that abby's boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend's father could be the culprit. There is a lot of evidence pointing in that direction. Uh, I'm not going to get, like I said, I don't want to get too, because it's, it's really graphic. We've talked about it.
2: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about some of it and and uh, here's your trigger warning. You're going to skip ahead a few minutes because I think it's important to share some of these details and I get why Zach's not wanting to, but so.
3: And this is all alleged. I just want to, uh, Kate, I see you. Yeah. I see you in there. If, if the defense is making this up whole cloth, we will have a feast to talk about next week because that would be yeah. insane, but it is absolutely alleged. That is very fair.
2: So everything that we're sharing right now, we're, we're just talk- quoting what was in this document by the defense. In that document, they are referencing the police file, but we haven't seen the police file. So essentially you have sticks, branches from trees that were, as Zach mentioned, were cleanly cut, which is interesting. They weren't broken off of trees, which means either the sticks were brought to the scene or there was a saw brought to the scene in order to do this. Without getting too graphic about the bodies, Libby Libby was found nude. Abby was found clothed. Their bodies were positioned in a particular way. And Libby's Libby's throat had been slit, according to this document. Did it, I don't remember what it said about Abby's cause of death.
1: Abby's cause of death was the same, but same. they believe that she was when when she was murdered. They believe that she was nude because her clothes have no blood on them,
2: and then re and and reclothed. So these these sticks that are cleanly cut are placed into these symbols are, are are very carefully laid out in symbols. They were described as being painted. Uh, the sticks were painted, according to this document, with Libby's blood. There's a tree right by the, in the way at, Libby's body was positioned, like her hand was, is kind of pointing towards, is that right, a tree? And on that tree, one of these Nordic symbols are painted on the tree in Libby's blood also. That is, according to this document, that is the signature that they've been talking about all this time. It's also revealed in this document that the FBI Behavioral Analysis Unit profile the scene which we knew we didn't know anything about the profile evidently the profile said that the killer uh, and I don't know if it was single or plural but that they would have ties to this this odinite religion or Odin odinism religion or odinite cult ritualistic this is not like a, from what they're describing this is not like West Memphis 3 where bodies are brought out we know now that they were just chewed on by turtles but they see these injuries and they think oh this must be a ritualistic this was very carefully and specifically, these symbols were placed on the bodies in a very clear way. It, it either was a ritualistic killing, from what they're describing, or it was made to look like a Odinite ritualistic killing.
1: Now, the big thing in the document is they are trying to... The, the document is trying to make you believe that there is no way possible that a single person could do this. And, and if this is stated as fact and true, I mean, it, it does seem unlikely that a single person would be able to do everything that it's done in the time period that they had to do with the murder. Yeah. Um, it's, because there's a very short, you know, there's only about an hour window. Right. And remember
2: when Richard Allen was arrested. We were told that there there could be or likely is someone else still. Even more upsetting if it's true, according to this document, this all came to light because the defense has been asking for discovery from the prosecution. Now, this I know you're thinking because we're all trained in this Brady, Brady, Brady. It's not Brady yet because the trial hasn't happened yet, but they've been asking for discovery for everything the state has, and they didn't have anything about this stuff. There was evidently a team of detectives who are named in the document who had been working investigating this angle for some time. They are the ones that had narrowed down on four suspects. One of whom was uh, the person that uh, Zach mentioned. Is we're not going to name them because even though the names are public, uh, these are unarrested, unindicted citizens. So we're not going to we're not going to name them. But that person is Abby's boyfriend or ex boyfriend's father, who is a part of this religion. According to this document, within a couple of days after the murders. That individual made a social media post as a picture of sticks placed in the on the ground, I believe, in the exact symbols that were found on Libby and Abby's bodies. There's, again, a connection between him and, and three other people. There are, uh, Zach has these details he wants to share them, uh, but there are reports that there have been some admissions made by these folks to family members and friends you want to talk a little bit about that
1: so there is the the individual in question we're going to call bh um which is abby's boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend's dad Um, at one point he was friends with another gentleman we'll call pw who lived 3.1 miles away from the cemetery about a seven minute drive and they would hang out all the time. They would. It's known that they would go have these rituals on Sundays. I know the murder didn't occur on a Sunday, but they would go have these rituals on Sundays. Pretty well known. Uh, they were friends, and there's. I, I I've looked it up on Facebook. It says in the record. I can. I've seen it on Facebook myself. There are photos of them together as of late January mm-hmm. of that year. It says they were no longer friends by the end of February, and Bh's wife, now ex-wife says, um, I don't have the quote pulled up, but essentially says that there was something happened at a ritual that they were down by a river by PW's house. Something happened or was said and they no longer get along and it was all involving a ritual. So, I mean, it, that's if that is true, that's that's a very strange thing to have happen. Right. There's another individual that lives up uh, about a hundred miles away that has confessed to it. Um, we're going to call him E.F. Uh, he confessed to his sister saying that he was on the bridge, that he was with these guys. He has connections back to these other two individuals. At one point was questioned by police and when was released, this is not on record. They they actually have record of him talking to police, but off the record after he was released, it is said that he turned around and asked the officer, if my spit is on them and I have a good reason, am I still in trouble? Which is Which is very weird and damning if that is true right um there's a few more individuals but they all kind of tie back to the one the, the bh individual which is abby's boyfriend slash ex-boyfriend's dad
2: yeah and there's and there's more to it than that there's some other weird connections uh that we'll get into later uh to answer you know I, I see kate keeps putting in there allegedly again everything we're saying is we're only to quoting what was put in the in the defense document
1: and i and i will go out and say i mean i said this to bob i don't know if i said this to jan but i they They did a very good job at making compelling arguments. Yeah, I don't know if it's true or not, but they did a phenomenal job making compelling arguments towards this.
2: Yeah, and that that said, I want to point out: like when I read it, I was like, "Holy crap! This is." I mean, there's some pretty again. If if this stuff is true, the cut sticks, all that stuff. There's there's a whole lot here that is that looked real bad. I'm really waiting to. To pass any judgment until we get a reply brief from the prosecution, because you know, as we've been talking about, prosecutors are only going to present the prosecution case, and defense is only going to present the defense case. We may get a reply brief from the prosecution that is like, "Yeah, that's not what happened. Here's the real fact." Blah 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 blah, and this all gets straightened out. But it looks it it, it looks extremely extremely compelling to me. It's confusing because the other thing you got to get past is that Richard Allen admitted that he was on the bridge or that he was there at that time. He has a blue jacket. He has allegedly confessed on a recorded line to his wife multiple times since he's been in jail. Uh, There's of course the firearms evidence, which I just don't, you know, I don't put much weight into the, uh, the, that type of, uh, that type of firearm comparison. So there's, there seems to be a lot there with Richard Allen too, Uh, to answer somebody else's question. If Richard Allen has any connection to these guys according to this document according to the defense he has no connection to these people or this religion
3: yeah this is all interesting i mean kate i saw your comment um further back that you said this could potentially be sort of dirtying a jury pool and i think that's something to keep in mind you know we we if you are sort of falling on the side um often of criminal justice reform and wrongful convictions then a lot of the time you look at the way the prosecution addresses the press or the public and, or the police do. And you say, well, look, you know, they are spilling all of this quote unquote information, quote unquote evidence in advance to sort of set the tone for what they would like the, you know, the direction they want it to go. And it can be done on the side of the defense as well. So we all just, yeah. I think we're all kind of coming from the same place where everything has to be taken with a serious grain of salt and. You're right, Kate, you know, we can't make any no one should be taking any of this to the place of a decision or an opinion. But it's very difficult because this is such an emotional case and it's such an upsetting case. And what the defense has released is extremely disturbing and infuriating um, in terms of, you know, the treatment of these children. And so we all need to be very careful.
2: Yeah, and, and I just realized, based on some of these comments on here, that I didn't really finish my thought about this team of detectives. So that's how this came to light, according to this document, is this team of detectives that were working on this angle, they had identified these suspects, they really felt they were on to something, they had allegedly turned all this over to the prosecution and were looking for an arrest or, you know, to this to continue on further, everything they found with the, you know, that we just talked about, plus the fact of that the FBI profile seems to absolutely line up with this, It's a very specific signature, and they said all of a sudden they arrest some other guy, and they're kind of like, who's this guy? We don't know who this guy is. The defense had been requesting all this stuff in discovery. They weren't given any of this, and it sounds like those detectives or one of those detectives shared this information with the defense, and that's when it all came out. Yeah. The other connection that I guess is worth pointing out, since I did point out that Allegedly, Richard Allen has confessed to uh, his lawyers or his guards, whatever, at at prison recorded lines. One of those connections is that some of these guys that are part of this Odinite religion and um, have ties—they're connect—they're all connected to the suspects. Work at that jail as guards, and so they're alleging that the guards there, who they're claiming are the actual killers, uh, are you know, forced, you know, basically beat and deprived uh Richard Allen and forced him to make those those admissions. So there's there's a whole lot here. I don't know if there's anything yeah. else you want to touch on, Zach Ferguson, Yeah. So
1: so this is where I come in with the bullshit flag. So I, I'm not saying that none that this is true or, or false, but this is where the bullshit flag comes into me. Is they discuss that these guys have all this this Viking Nordic apparel? They have these clothes. They have these patches that say Odin. They have this the interlocking triangle patches. They have interlocking triangle T-shirts. Well, guess what? I have multiple too, and I'm not one of them. Yeah. And I ha- I know I know hundreds of friends that have shirts like this. I have clients that I've tattooed Nordic symbols on mm-hmm. Nordic calendars on. I mean, all that doesn't. This is where it becomes like, is this truly something or is this just something they're glatching onto? We've seen it in the West Memphis three with the satanic panic. We've seen it and we, you know, we're talking about the Luke Mitchell case yeah. and they literally pushed the same shit in the Luke Mitchell case. So is this, is this true or is this some new thing that they're trying to push in, A- in defense?
2: Answer me this. Cause maybe I'm, maybe I'm confused about it. Was it just that they had those symbols and stuff that, uh, on their because they had like patches, they said on their uniform, or was it some of those actual guy? I thought that some of those actual suspect regards.
1: No, none of these suspects. Were none guards. of those are okay. No, nope, the guards had the guards had patches that said "In Odin we trust," and they also had another patch that had the interlocking triangles with an American flag. Mm-hmm. And in my in in my opinion, and in my world that I've seen, there are a lot of ex military that fall into this. They like this this idea. They like this this warrior mentality. This, the stand on your feet, don't live on your knees. That's kind of their motto that, that comes along. So, while I'm not saying it's true, I'm not saying it's false. I just think that, you know, this is the same thing as saying Luke Mitchell killed somebody because he liked Marilyn Manson. I don't think
2: it's the same, in my opinion. I, because of the fact that we're not trying to make some inferences, those symbols, according to this document, if it's true, those symbols were very intentionally placed on the body. So, To me, it's either someone who truly believes that or someone who intentionally made it look that way, which is a little different than Luke Mitchell going, her body was like this. That's kind of similar to Black Dahlia. He had a rip poster of Marilyn Manson, and therefore he did this to try to recreate black. To me, that's different than seeing a crime scene with these symbols actually placed on the bodies and painted on the tree and stuff. Mm
1: -hmm. But what I'm getting, I guess, is the pressure from the guards that people are relaying that there's pressure from the guards. That just because they have the symbol, you know, I mean, it's, I don't, I don't know. I have a hard time with that part.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I, and I don't know. Again, all that's just what we have now. We will continue to keep you updated as more comes in. There, I don't know what the timeline is. Typically, in cases like this, when the defense files a motion, usually the prosecution will be given anywhere from two weeks to thirty days to sixty days to reply. So I'll be, I'll be very interested to see the rep- the reply brief from the from the prosecution. And we should probably hold off. i you know, any judgment on it until we hear the other side of the story.
3: Yes, indeed. What a day.
2: Yeah, busy day. And with that, we should get into, you said you've got a bunch of questions. Yeah. Real quick before we get into the questions, Zach and I were talking about this off the air before we started. This case is, I see now without having known before why I've never done an international case before, uh, particularly from the UK, because, geez, Louise, this is this is so hard. So Zach has done a ton of research into this case. I've obviously done a ton of research in this case and we're sitting here talking and it's like, yeah, every element of this, there's 10 different sources that you can read that tell you 10 different versions of events and none of them are linked to a source document because the, none of the source documents are available. Yeah. So I just want to preface, preface answering these questions with a lot of these answers may be that. I don't really know, I can only get, and I'm glad Zach's here this week because he has researched a lot of it too, so what I may answer is what I thought was fact based on what I found, he may have found something that says something different. So we'll do our best to get through these, and and obviously we're going to continue giving as much information as we can about this case over these next couple of weeks to finish to tell the story and put the awareness out there, but man, this is, I've never worked on a case without source documents before, and it is a
1: challenge. Yeah. It, and it's crazy that the the idea that you said there's no source documents. And as you said before, there's all these reports, but you can, I mean, every report you read is, is crazily biased. Either there's, there seems to be no neutrality in this case yeah, whatsoever, yeah. which is just baffling to me.
2: Yeah. Most of the information we have out there with the documentaries that are out there and the, the podcast, I, there, there was a book written and I believe it's the same person that did the, the documentary or at least was in the documentary. That person, I guess, was given access to the defense file so like they had some source documents because it but but you know some you know the people who believe luke is guilty will say well yeah it's the defense file so they're giving you a defense because a documentary very clearly makes luke look innocent but even that was not like it seems like like she was given access to it enough to make write the book and to you know work in the documentary but wasn't allowed to share you know, she quotes stuff, right? So, like in the book, uh, there'll be you know, it says in you know from Luke's interview, quote da 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 dot, da dot, da dot, 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 So we have that quote, but we don't have the whole document. So that's just me saying. If I say I don't know a whole bunch of times, that's why go ahead. Janet. It may it
3: may come to that. It may come to that. Well, yeah, I mean, you just may not. You just may not know, um, because you know when I was listening to it, I definitely had questions come up about the timeline, and I know that there are things you're gonna get a little further into and then there are things that probably we just don't even know the answers to but uh so there's there's stuff along those lines and people hoping to get some more information about some of the pieces that i know that you're going to get into in future episodes but so you can also say you know that's that's still coming uh but technically it's not rushing ahead because these are questions that are genuinely generated from this episode But uh, but let's go big picture for a second. Jenna says uh, if Luke was sentenced to 20 years and it's been about 20 years, um, is there a a chance he's getting out soon no matter where he is? Or is he stuck in the situation where he would have to essentially admit admit guilt in order to be released?
2: I I saw this question and I, I haven't had time to go back and research, but my understanding was that he was given a life sentence and he's eligible for parole in 20 years. So someone can correct me if I'm wrong about that, but I don't believe it was a 20-year sentence because what I've heard, what I've heard Luke speaking directly about it and some of the documentaries and stuff, he said that, you know, he probably could if he admitted wrongdoing and showed remorse that he could get that parole. He can't get parole until 20 years, which will be coming up next year, I think. So yeah, I, I think the 20 years is when he would be eligible for parole. and And he has stated that if what it will take is for him to say that he did this then he'll just stay in prison for the rest of his life because he refuses to confess to something that he
4: didn't do okay with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh,
3: Brian says, can or could anything be recovered from the phones whose messages were deleted? And there's another question about texts as well, which is just... Wow, is there really no way of, uh, Sue says, I don't have an in-depth knowledge of cell phone technology, especially back then, but can't law enforcement get the text messages from the service provider even when they've been deleted from the phones? So a couple questions around the phones
2: there. Well, not now, but in 2003, they could have. Also, there's something I hadn't thought about until literally just this moment. This is 2003. Right. This is old school texting. Yeah. This is like new tech. Like I didn't send my first text message ever until 2006. Yeah. I got one and was like, what is this? I didn't know what it was on my Nextel flip phone. Right. So this is three years before that. This is the press the two button three times to get to the C and the, you know, oh, well, that yeah. kind of texting.
1: Oof. So I, to, I vague, I, I, not vaguely, that was totally the wrong word. I for sure know about 2003. That's the year I graduated. So I remember this distinctly. Uh-huh. When we text, it was 10 cents a text too. Like yeah. I remember that bad like it wasn't the free texting that we have now it wasn't willy nilly you could just do whatever it was hit the button a bunch of times yeah
2: and and so so I'm saying that to say this because a lot of people have asked like you know what was the conversation Lucas said there was no planned time he said that the text that he got back from her just said I'll be by later or be along later or something that worth I think we may be in the mindset thinking of iPhones where we can very clearly and easily type out our whole message like okay well I'm gonna finish eating dinner. I'll head down Rhones Dyke and I'll meet you at your house around ten four. You know, five forty five. If that works, that wasn't happening on these phones. It would have been like, okay, right, be there later." Something similar. To that. As far as the stuff recovered, again, this is a huge black hole. So, from what the documents that I've been able to see found, which are re- just a reference to a document, are that uh, Luke's texts were deleted. He, we're gonna get into some more this week, but at 11:55, he's taken into police custody. He doesn't get let sent home until 6 a.m. He's there all night. The expert testified at trial that he could tell that the the texts were deleted on the off the phone sometime after 12:30 a.m., which the police had it in their possession then. That's just weird thing number one, right? Then we're just told the texts were also not available they had been deleted off of judith's phone but nobody knows like like there's no there's no like it, just one of those things like why is no how is this not out there somewhere was there an interview where they discussed it Where is there a forensic examination of the phone that's what i have from every source i've been able to find zach i don't know if you find anything different but all i've been able to find is the texts were deleted off the phone no one knows how
1: Everything I've seen is the texts are gone. No one knows how. Honestly, when you said that that they were deleted at 1230, that's the first time I'd ever heard that. I've never, I've honestly never heard that or seen that. Well. Well, It doesn't mean it's not true. I just haven't seen that. But yeah, that's all I see is the texts are gone. No one knows why or how.
3: Is there evidence that the texts were there for anyone ever to see beyond Jody, who we assume is Jody and Luke texting? Because if you're using your mom's phone, and you say something like "Can't wait to do a little something something with you" and the something, then you both would just erase your texts right afterwards because you're like, "This I don't want Jody's mom, I don't want my mom reading this thing I texted." And then he would be yeah. like, "Oh, I don't want like that's private or whatever."
2: So that was my thought was Jody's texting from her mother's phone, so yeah. I could see that maybe Jody would delete yes. the text, yeah, because whatever was said doesn't want mom to see it, right? We know Luke didn't do that base. Uh, well, based on what what has been cited is that the, he didn't delete his text because that was his personal phone. Right. They were deleted after 1230 when the phone was in the police possession.
3: So somewhere there's information where people other than Luke say, I saw Luke's phone and I saw those
2: texts
1: should be. We don't know. Yeah. Does, does it say after 1230 or at 1230?
2: So the, the book that's being quoted, in I, I don't have the name of the book in front of me right now. I believe the author is Dr. Sandra Jean. That's the, the person that had access, I believe, to the defense files and quoted all this stuff. So that's that's where, from that book, is where we hear that at the trial, the expert testified that the texts were deleted sometime after 1230 AM. So that's, that's all I know.
3: Okay. Aaliyah says, "From from and until what time was Luke playing with his friends at the Abbey? Do his friends' statements say he was acting normal during this time?"
2: Uh, I don't. I don't have the exact details on that time yet because that's what I'm going to be covering uh, some more of this week, or this week or next week when we get into kind of the case for innocence. There were witnesses that saw him. Remember, Luke said that he was sitting on the wall
0: mm-hmm.
2: waiting for uh, Jody to show up. There are, I believe, two different witnesses that saw him sitting on that wall for like twenty minutes. Like they saw him, that not that he was there for twenty minutes, but they saw him there for twenty minutes. And then there are the the witnesses, the the people that he was hanging out with at the Abbey were also also interviewed. I know that they had said, just off the top of my head, without digging into it when, like I do for an episode, that he didn't have any blood on him or anything. And Joe, we're gonna get into this this week too, but like so so Jody's throat was slit, like her her carotid and jugular. We're both slit, which is a massive spray of blood. When you cut your carotid artery, it there's a lot of blood It goes a lot of places. There's some other weird stuff about the crime scene we'll get into, but I want to. The time seven o'clock is sticking in my head. I don't know if that was the time he left or that was the time he got there, uh, but somehow I, I believe at, with a window on both sides for a period of time, at seven o'clock he was at the abbey. But yeah, it sounds like the, that everything was normal. And he didn't have any blood on him. Also should be point, pointed out that he was taken in the night. I mentioned this in the first episode. We'll get into it m- in more detail later. But, you know, another weird thing is, you know, so he was, again, they find the body. He was immediately taken in a, in a police car to the police station and was from the discovery of the body until 6 a.m. He was tested forensically. He was stripped down. He was put in a white suit. It was noted that his that his hair was dirty. There's dirt under his fingernails. He hadn't taken a shower or anything like that. And there was no no DNA from from uh, from Jody on him. There's no blood on him, anything like that. Next week, we're going to get into what the prosecution's case is. So we'll talk about the elements that uh, that don't look so good for him. But that's kind of one of the ones that it's kind of hard to get around.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to hear more about the different sightings and how some of that that seemed more ambiguous was what they went with when some of it that seems like it's people who knew him and it's impossible for him to have been in two places at once. Like how that side was like, that was thrown away. But we always say that.
2: Yeah. Well, there's so much of this. So there's thing one, we don't have the source documents. Thing two is all these changing stories, not by Luke, but by the victim's family. It's, it's, it's bananas like you can't track anything because like i said like her mom gave 12 statements in a month mm. and they're all conflicting and change and the times change and, and when she's grounded changes and all this stuff changes and so it's really difficult to try I, I definitely spend a lot of time with my head spinning like especially when like you know these episodes are short because number one there's not a lot of information otherwise i would give it to you and number two i'm having this constant juggling match with myself like i don't like is it is it ethical for me to say this because yeah i have somebody saying that they saw a document and they're saying it but i don't know that for sure yeah uh thank you valeria the the book that i was referencing earlier is called innocence betrayed and it is by dr sandra lean not Jean. dr sandra lean innocence betrayed and she is the one that had you know she wrote that book it's kind of considered from what i've been told kind of the it, it's the holy grail of this case that's that's the where most information actual factual information comes from from that book because she had access to the defense file
3: and even without access to the defense files were there not journalists i mean i maybe perhaps some of you who are uh, across the pond as it were uh know this better but like at the time contemporaneously wouldn't have there been journalists even if there's no recordings or anything that's allowed to be re- released to the public Are you is the press not allowed to report on the actual ins and outs of how a case is being tried? Or is that like all secret?
1: But this goes back to what we started on the the biases of the reporting. There is there are reporters and they're reporting about this case, but they're only reporting their side of it. The people that think they're guilty are only going back and reporting what they're saying that that makes Luke guilty. The innocent people are only going back and reporting what makes him look innocent.
3: Right. But I'm saying, but weren't there people there at the time that were like, I am a person who doesn't, you know, who has just been following the case. I'm a reporter for X uh, newspaper in Edinburgh and I and I've shown up from Edinburgh and I'm just saying, then the judge ruled this. Then the prosecution made today's 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 uh, proceedings were that took this shape. This is who testified. This is who said what. Like that seems like it would be the most trustworthy because it's like I'm I'm literally saying I'm just I just took shorthand notes of everything that happened that day. Procedurally. Yeah, I,
2: I think that I think some of that does exist because I've seen some of that stuff, but it's also it's not reported like it is here in the US where like, you know, where you're getting like a blow by blow. You're getting kind of what Zach's talking about. And, and remember, Luke was kind of convicted in a court of public opinion. Very much West Memphis Mm 3-esque, you know, where it was like he's a Satanist and this was a Black Dahlia killing. And so that was the story. That was the narrative they were all running with before the trial happened. And then they would kind of give a summation of what was happening, but it was all geared kind of in that direction. Mm -hmm. But I believe like I believe, but it's not all that way because I I believe I, I read it was in an article, one of those types of articles where they said the witness who had seen the young couple at the entrance of the path. Had you know at trial not been able to identify Luke as one of those people, you know. So mm-hmm. some of that's out there, but it's just not in depth. As a matter of fact, the Donna I uh, mentioned, the person that I've been um, that's been helping me a lot with uh, with you know trying to piece all this stuff together, she had said she ju- she just realized that things are different in the U.S. Because she I, mm. I think she was wondering like why am I I'm constantly she's like well this happened I'm like where's the source document where right. do, where am I getting this yeah and I think she was like what is this guy doing and then. And she's like I, she has a friend that lives in the U.S. And she's like, I had no idea that you guys can just get files like we can't get files like you have all that stuff.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's kind of seems like it's kind of par for the course over there to be dealing with limited information as opposed to here where for the most part, we can get access to all that stuff.
1: Understood. Well, And it sounds like from the people I've talked to, the people that lived in that area that that heard about the case in real time, everybody thought he was guilty. I, I mean, absolutely. Everybody thought he was guilty. This notion that he is wrongfully convicted and innocent is more like in the last five to 10 years. Like it it wasn't, it wasn't at the time. I mean, I'm sure that there are people that stood by him at the time, but it felt like it was generally received that he was guilty at that time by everybody.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to answer your question, uh, Pamela had asked if I've reached out to Dr. Lean, I have not yet. uh, So I've got a contact I'm working with that's citing, the source material from dr lean's book and then what i want to do is then when we kind of wrap things up i want to see if i can get dr lean to come on for an interview and probably correct a lot of the stuff that i put out there i don't i've never felt less confident about
3: i appreciate you being honest about that
2: and after you you've you've heard my whole speech at the beginning of this i don't like that very much at all uh that i'm not that i haven't been able to source all all of this material so i very much want to bring on if she's willing dr lean to come on and kind of share her thoughts and then also to correct anything that i have got wrong because the last thing i want to do is be putting out misinformation about a case so i want to make sure that we do our best with someone who knows the most to kind of fact check me throughout this process got it and i do know that she's listening so uh matt uh, Matt Elliott I had talked about who kind of put me in contact with Donna I think he has either either contact directly with with Dr. Sandraline or through somebody else then he had shared like some comments that, that she had had about you know in that very first episode I put stuff out that I was reading and she's like "Nah, that stuff's not true so mm. she so so she obviously had listened so hopefully she's keeping up and hearing this and knowing that I'll be reaching out and hopefully getting Dr. lean to come on and do an interview.
3: Great. Um, okay, with that in mind, I just want to honor these questions because I think they're really good questions. So even if we don't have answers, um, I, I feel like a lot of people probably had similar questions. So let's just uh, get through a few more. Uh, Tracy says, how did Alice manage to be at the entrance of the path to meet Luke with Janice and Stephen at 1110 when she was on the phone with Judith at 1103 and lives approximately 25 minutes away? And you did kind of talk about this stuff in terms of like, yeah. how is this physically possible? Uh, did Judith call her mother's landline or was it a mobile phone? I'm very curious. And this is almost a separate thought, at least that is for me. I'm very curious who made the 1045 call to the police. I mean, you dropped that little breadcrumb and I, I'm sure so many of us were like, wait, what?
2: Yeah. So the first, so just remind everybody, Alice is the grandmother. I don't, as I said in the episode, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like if she's home in Mayfield at 1103, how is she? At the entrance of Ronesdike Path in East Houses at eleven ten, I don't know that it, it, the way it was it was posed me was that the call was to the landline. So then you know there were questions like, did they catch a cab? It was kind of said that they had walked, but did they catch a cab? Did they get catch a ride up there? I don't know. And then that ten forty five call, that was another one. I'm like, so there's all this information, and it's all stated as it's verified fact. I haven't seen the document from it but like the timing of that call. So someone calls and says that they're Judith, but then we can see from the phone record, Judith was on the phone to someone else at that time. I, I have no, I, I mean that, I wish That I is
3: fascinating and incredibly frustrating.
2: And I wonder if it's, I don't know. So, and, and it, because I've, I've thought a lot about it and it's like, well, is it something like she's calling grandma puts, puts her husband on the phone to talk to grandma and then she grabs the cell phone and calls the police or vice versa i i don't or know just, but there should be record of those calls Or just like a clerical
3: case. or like a clerical error where someone wrote somewhere yeah. that she called at x time and people were like wait that's impossible and they're actually talking about the same call i don't know yeah you know i have no idea um okay Kathy says, have other crimes been committed on the path before or after, uh, her death? Were there any other child murders or attacks in a hundred mile radius in the recent years before or after her death?
2: I, that's a great question. I don't know the answer to it, but I'll try to find the answer to it. Okay.
3: Um, Chris says, what is the burden of proof in Scotland as compared to the U.S.'s uh, innocent until proven beyond a shadow of doubt or reasonable doubt.
2: Yeah. Reasonable doubt. Um, I don't, I don't know because someone had pointed out that, you know, us law was based on English law, but then someone else pointed out that Scottish law is not based on English. It's separate from English law. Um, so that's another good question to try to figure out. I don't, I don't know.
1: The, the one thing I heard too, and I don't know if this is true, but it's, uh, their jury goes by a majority. So the, ma- the majority wins. If, if so it's not unanimous, it's not unanimous. Like it is here. The majority, if it, if it's eight to four, mm. That's it's guilty. Like there is no.
3: Well, that explains why they might have only taken five hours when it was such a long case, because that's a real that's always that can mean any number of things. But it's always for those of us who are concerned about wrongful convictions. You hear that this case went on and on and on and on. And then five hours later, they were like, yep, did it. That's it can take it take it can take what it takes. But just if you know that not everybody has to agree and you don't have to talk through it, and come to a unanimous decision, then maybe it's as simple as, you know.
2: If they had 12 jurors, if all of a sudden they got seven to vote yes, yeah, then it's, it's over. Yeah, like, oh, it's bye. And uh, Rebecca in the chat just said that not proven is another option for a verdict in Scotland law.
3: Thank you for that.
2: Yeah, so guilty, not guilty, and not proven.
3: Really interesting. Okay. One question I had that I didn't see come up here um, from the timeline that you gave was, I know that it's Luke's testimony or that he, you know, one question he said that the conversation that he had with Alan at that time that is reflected in the phone records uh, when Alan said, oh, she just left. Does Alan have any like what does Alan say that call was?
2: So I, I asked that question today, trying to clear, the, trying to clear that up. And what the defense seems to have raised about that call is that Luke says that Alan said, they've just left meaning that Jody left with someone else.
3: Wait, Luke says that
2: that's what Luke says that. And I didn't catch that, but that he had said they've just left.
3: Oh my. Okay.
2: So that was the angle they were taking was she had left with someone else. That's probably the person that killed her. She left with someone. And from what I was told, Alan has never confirmed or denied whether he said they or she but it sounds like he has never denied that the call that the conversation happened and they said that at least she had just love.
3: right okay so
2: that that part seems to be confirmed
3: okay uh mike says i only know about this case from what the first two episodes of yours have revealed i'm sure there's good reason not to consider her family's involvement in this crime but all the story changes uh, have me questioning them H- well mike says how have you ruled them na- them out i'm guessing probably you
2: i haven't i don't have an uh, I- it's funny because Zach had been doing, you know, Zach was gone for a couple of weeks, but he's been doing a ton of research. And he said, I might have a different opinion than you guys. And I said, I don't have, have a different opinion than me because I don't have one yet. <laughs> I don't. I, I'm still there's too many unknowns. So I haven't ruled her family out. I certainly don't want to cast suspicious. I'll tell you that there's definitely a lot of from what I've seen of the people that believe that Luke is innocent. That is their theory. Um, and we will get into that stuff later.
1: Yeah, a lot of the stuff I have to talk about, I feel like is going to come in next week's episode.
2: Yeah. Yeah, because Zach has done quite a bit of research on it. Um, But yeah, I mean, so the the Luke is innocent crowd, most of them, from what I've seen, think that some people in the family have had something to do with her murder. And I'll just say this. If what they're saying is true about the evidence and things that are found, they have got, they've got good reason to maybe at least suspect that i
1: agree i agree wholeheartedly
2: well
3: that, that'll be really interesting to talk about because that's you know you brought up you made the comparison with jay just in terms of trying to you know understand changing stories and yeah uh, the thing that we saw that was present in all of those changing stories for jay seemed to be law enforcement so yeah. is it a situation in which someone says Could when be, you are yeah. broken and i'm not i don't know anything about this case again other than you know the handful of things but if law enforcement says, we know for a fact that he did do it, you got to help us out on some of this. Like, are the stories yeah. changing after meetings with law enforcement? That, that in was which the first they thing say, I thought. Yeah.
2: When they say she left at 530 and then they get a witness that says, well, between 454 and 459, I saw a young couple that might have been Luke and her at the, at the entrance of this path is it possible to a grieving family to be like are you sure that she didn't leave at like 4:50? Yeah. I don't know maybe it, it's not it's not difficult to plant that seed in someone who's grieving.
1: Sure. So uh, on a timeline issue or a thing that we haven't brought up there is a a 454 call that Luke makes to the yeah. the talking clock which is a service that tells you what time it is which I find is a very interesting phone call.
2: Yeah it's like what if you're old enough like Janet and I you remember when you used to call time to see what time it was. So yeah, the argument about that, and I didn't even know that wasn't in the list of calls that I was reading off of. So that was kind of news to me. Uh, When you said it, you were like the kind of the argument is if he was home, why would he call time? And then I remembered, well, when I used to call time, I was always at home because there were no cell phones. I don't remember why, but I would do it often Mm -hmm. would call. There was, I don't remember what the number was, but you could call a number and get time. So, that, to me, doesn't put Luke not in the house because, like I said, any t- I have called time or the talking clock many times in my life, and every single time I was at home. Actually, every single time anyone ever called it prior to, say, 1997, they were at home because okay, there were, were no cell but phones. But we're not
1: prior to 1997. We are 2003 with cell phones, and he calls from his cell phone. Right. I'm just saying But that doesn't
3: your cell phone potentially have the time on it anyway? should
1: have the time on it. So, so that's, that's th- what's that's yeah. what's confusing about this whole phone call is why why does he need to call it?
3: I read somewhere that he did that all the time, like that he had done that, I don't say all the time, but that that was something that was consistent through days that did not, that had, yeah. had nothing to do with Jody. But
2: And it begs the question in 2003, whenever, when many people have cell phones, why would anyone ever call time if the cell phones have time on it? So maybe it's just a thing.
1: And I don't know that it means anything. I'm just, it's there. And I'm, I'm very curious as to why.
2: Yeah. Also, that would be right at the exact time when the witness supposedly saw them. Yeah. Yeah. And as we're seeing from a lot of people in the YouTube chat that at least in the United States, time was time and temp. You'd call and it would give you the time and and temperature, maybe even the the weather. Um, But lots of people that must be around our age, Janet, you and I uh, (laughs) know that very well. And the other thing to remember, too, I was just thinking about uh, just right in this moment is Someone correct me if I'm wrong, but the fact now our our cell phone clocks are tied into like an atomic clock. They set automatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't believe back then that was the case. Like you had to manually set it like it was a watch.
3: Yeah. I think you had to be like, huh, yeah. Yeah, uh,
2: I agree. uh, I
1: I do remember you have to set it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So
2: there's you know, there's another reason why maybe someone would call if they weren't sure their their clock on their phone was right or the clock in the house was right so anyway we'll get into whatever your next question is
3: uh we will but i just want to shout out uh nick because this has come up in another case i can't remember who it was but it almost seemed like it could have been it not but anyway that you would use that you would call if you were expecting a call and you weren't supposed to be getting calls if you made sure yeah. you were on the phone and you called time that's a great way to just sit and be innocuous and that means if you have call yeah. waiting, you get that beep and you're like, awesome. Like, no one heard the phone ring. That therefore. wasn't non's case. He, yeah. s- he
2: said that he would do that. He yeah. would, like, page Hay and then he would call time and wait for her to call him.
3: Yeah. So, interesting. Okay. Anyway, uh, Allison has a lot of questions, I have to say. I love all of them. So, I'm just going to get through them real quick. Allison says, is there any timeline information on what Jody did earlier in the day? Did she and Luke see each other at school? Any info from friends of theirs as to what was going on that day? Or is it all from the families? Also... And this is key. Where does the time of death of 515 come from? The police or a medical examiner? That's a very specific time. Doesn't seem like something a scientist would come up with.
2: This is what I, so as far as the friends know, everything I've seen is from the fam. So if that stuff is out there, as far as friends at school and stuff, I haven't seen it yet. If I do find it, I will let you know. Uh, as far as the time of death, what I do know is that's impossible to to determine yeah. th- that this happened at 515. Particularly when you find the... It, <laughs> But also, I didn't know until Zach just shared this with me before we went on the air today uh, that the medical examiner didn't examine her body until the next morning. They couldn't get over the stone wall. That's crazy. And so they left her body out there unguarded, according to what... And and my source on this is Zach, so blame him if it's wrong. (laughs) I've seen it multiple places. I've I've read this,
3: too. I've read this, too. Yeah.
2: They left her body out overnight, and that's something that, you know, obviously I would be getting into this week uh and because we're gonna be talking about the body and the injuries and stuff like that but that's bananas so uh I, I want all i was told was that you know that based on the investigation and the medical examiner they determined she was dead at 5 15 you can't differentiate between five fifteen and 5 o'clock and 6 o'clock by any sort of medical evidence like that it just can't be done particularly when the medical examiner didn't look at her until the next day
1: and and i i said this because it's what i read but multiple people have jumped in and said it rained that night
2: right yeah which also created more problems because you know there was blood on her body that got rid
1: so
3: that's yeah so that sounds like i already don't have a yeah yeah no i
2: already don't have a whole lot of information for sunday and i'm already putting half of it out right now so i should stop or it's gonna be 10 minutes
3: it seems like we all agree that there's the potential there for not unlike other cases we've seen you have some evidence you think is compelling enough that you're going to shoehorn everything in on a timeline that yeah. actually is not, you know, based on something. Um, Kim H says, is there any external corroboration of Jody's time for leaving home to head to the path? Any confirmed sightings by people who knew Jody or CCTV? Is the timing of the Andrina Bryson sighting confirmed and what direction was she traveling in? I bet you'll get into some of that in a future episode, but.
2: Yeah, we'll get into that more of that later. As far as I have, I, I will tell you, I haven't seen anybody that was able to confirm the uh, Adrena sighting is, is the only confirmation there is. And she didn't say, I saw Jody and Luke. She said, I saw a young couple. If you do watch the, it's called Murder in a Small Town. Is that the name of the documentary? Mm-hmm. Um, if you watch that, they actually recreate that sighting. And like Zach said, there's always, you know, whatever bias or spin into it. But what they did do is put the couple standing in the place where she said she saw the couple. And then they drove at the speed she said she was driving at the place she said she was driving. And you realize, and by the way, didn't know she was supposed to be looking at anything, that that sighting is shaky at best. But that's the only sighting that I've seen of Jody. Well, actually, no, let, me, let me take that back. I think there's something else. Let me else. take that back. A other oh yeah, there's there's stuff that we're going to be getting like into. I feel like that I said later. I didn't know
3: anything and now I'm f- revealing my hand. But yeah. I said I don't know enough because there are people who have studied this case for a decade or more, and I don't want to I've only recently become acquainted with it, so.
2: Yeah, and I certainly don't know know very much either, but yeah, as I was saying that I remember, you no know, there were there was other sightings, but all the sightings have to do with that point, like when she's going into the path and who she was going into the path with
3: yeah uh then we have what i like to call a delicious batch of teresa questions all uh very good teresa says i was interested in luke's dog he seems young to have trained a dog to track people without her scent to follow would any search rescue dog just know how to smell for remains my apologies if that sounds harsh i'm just trying to get a better understanding of how the dog was able to know what to do
2: i mean if someone's too young to train a dog i don't know i mean i had a a friend when I was when I was in middle school that was training Seeing Eye dog that was that was her project that she was doing so I don't think there's an age limit on how when you can train a dog as far as would they know to just you know look for remains uh, no they you ha- you have to teach them what and, and I don't know that it was remains I don't think it was remains I don't that, think it was that she was trained to look, because he was looking for something with Jody's scent on it so I have some experience in this because I have trained my dog to look for birds you know my my dog mac is is my bird dog that I go bird hunting with um and it's a process of it, of you know teaching them this is the smell you're looking for and then you hide it and then they find it and then you reward them and then pretty soon they pick up on oh that's the thing that you want me to find so it's it's it, it can certainly be done and dogs are smart
0: i you know
3: yeah i've i've have an embarrassed Teresa, i see your comment cuz you're here live with us too that the command would be go find jody that seems strange i have to be honest with you Um, for no other reason than we are so into how smart our dog is. We have been training our dog to find each other just as a game, um, by smell in the neighborhood and he's really good at it. It's literally just like a game. But if I say where's brand, like if Brandon leaves and he understands we're in that play mode and I say, where's Brandon, go find Brandon. And I put him on the leash. He will drag me through the neighborhood, like in a different direction to where Brandon is. And, and then that, he'll that, get rewarded That's what I was going to say
2: is we do that like it's not really a game for us but like my dogs, so well, I've never trained to do this but when I said dogs are smart like we have German shepherds or a German shepherd now and I always I always have to remind Becky that remember they don't speak English they you know one word they're you know, like Mac will be laying in her spot on the bench like, would you please just get up and move away from her? like he doesn't know that if you say move he knows what move means so say move and he'll move but they also know what names are. If I'm yeah. sitting there playing with them and I, and I say, go get your ball, they will run outside, go wander, run through the whole yard until they find their ball and bring their ball back. If I say, go get your mom, they'll run and go to their mom. So if the, if, if the dog is familiar with Jody's scent and you say, go get Jody, go find Jody, and he's been introduced to Jody enough to know who Jody is, you'd be shocked at how smart dogs are. Yeah. And how they can do that? So that that part didn't with with the experience I have with dogs and with training dogs, that part didn't surprise me at all. Yeah. If, if you if if you said go find Jody and the dog knows who Jody is, yeah. The dog dogs identify you much more by scent than by sight. Uh, that's why when my daughter pulls into her house every day, my dogs bark at her until she walks in the house <laughs> and they realize yeah. that it's her uh, because they can smell her. They don't for some reason they don't they don't recognize from seeing the car that that's Bella and she comes. Here every day, right. but when she walks in the house and they smell her, like, oh, it's Bella, and yeah. they get all excited and start wagging their tails.
3: But in fairness to people who are who question that, I understand. I mean, we're not, I we're question not, it wholeheartedly. We're not laughing at anybody who thinks, wait a minute, they passed by that spot and nothing happened, and then they were coming back and then something happened. Like, if it was that, like, if it was a familiarity with scent, like, was, would there be nothing at all? Like, would the dog just not, you know, respond? And I understand that. I understand that. Zach, you were saying I have a very, hard time. Have a yeah.
1: very hard time with the dog. I have, I have an extremely hard time with the dog. I don't I think it's I'm not saying the dog didn't help Luke find it. And I'm not saying Luke is guilty because of this. I don't mean anything, but I have a very hard time. With, I think it's being conflated to make it seem like the dog helped so much more than it really did. Hmm. Why do you say that? I there is nothing in my being that shows me that Luke was capable of training a dog or that this dog was. We, we do not know that they were around, that Jody was around that long. We, we've already heard from, about other girlfriends. I don't know if we've heard about in this. I'm, I'm so, I've researched so much that I don't know what's been told at right now, but we've, we've heard about other girlfriends. I don't think that Jody's brown enough that this dog knows Jody's scent. I also have a very hard time knowing what we know about Luke, knowing about his cleanliness, knowing about the way he takes care of things, that he is training a dog to search for anything. I'm not saying it's not a smart dog. I'm not saying it's not capable of finding something. I think it's being conflated that he came out and was like, go find Jody. And the dog helped him find Jody. I, I believe, didn't the family
2: confirm that he said, go find Jody to the dog?
1: The family's changed their story 14 times.
2: Right. But there's at least in some version of their story, they confirmed they it. Said
1: they said, they've never said, as far as I know, the family has never said that he said, go find Jody. The family has said that the dog found Jody with Luke.
2: So I had heard that he, that the family, I had read that the family had said that he Put the dog in tracking mode.
1: Yeah, but, but what does that what is that mean?
2: I, like? I, I would just say this, and and I and I, and I appreciate your, persp- your perspective on it. But I would say this just as much as you don't know if the dog knew Jody, mm-hmm. you also don't know if the dog knew Jody.
1: You're right, 100. You know I mean? You're and right,
2: they, and that we don't know that Luke's capable of training a dog. We don't know that Luke's not capable of training a dog, and we do know that at least some dogs are very capable. Of doing exactly what that dog did, just based on a name. I, my dogs can do it. Janet's dogs can do it. So it's possible. It's in the realm of possibilities.
1: Right. They do it with they do it with the individuals they are in a household with all the time, not a not a stranger that comes over once in a while.
2: But we don't know how much she comes over. We know she was there on Saturday, two days before this, right? I not that I know of.
3: And yet she was grounded. Yeah, that was the
2: day that the mom sent the taxi. To the bring taxi, her, okay, to bring him to, to bring her back. So I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that. You're basing what seems to be a very strong opinion on what we don't know.
1: Okay. But
3: if she was grounded, what a question mark. Okay.
2: Oh, the whole grounding thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. so confusing. If she was grounded, why did her, because that part, from what I read, was confirmed. Like, mom knows she was there Saturday. Mom sent the the taxi to get, or the 28th, whatever day that was, to go pick her up from Luke's to bring her home. But then she said, well, and, and in the initial interview, she didn't say anything about her being grounded. And then later on, she didn't she did 12 interviews before she ever said she was grounded.
3: that's okay. Wow. Um all right. Uh I'm going to skip just a couple of these. I'm so sorry Teresa, but you know you're here that we're running a little long. So and we'll I think we'll be circling back to some of this stuff. But this is a, another great question. Was this wall something people often jumped to go in different directions or for privacy to smoke, drink, hook up near the path, but not on the path where there would be more activity?
2: Uh from what I said from what I read, it was an area that was commonly known for teenagers to go drink and smoke and have sex, do whatever back there. Is that did you come that's across? Yep.
1: That, it was known to be it was known to be a spot for that. Sure. Yeah, sure.
3: Uh, so to that end, Teresa wants to know, had, is it known that Luke and Jody had maybe ever hopped the wall before?
2: That I don't know.
1: Yeah. And I don't think we can. I mean, it, that's hard to even speculate. We don't know at all.
3: And then Teresa finally says, when police arrived, wouldn't they have made note of those present and conducted initial interviews? That should have made it clear Luke didn't find her alone.
2: That is one of the biggest. and that We're going to get into all that this week. That's why I stopped the episode where I did last week because I'm trying to trace together all the. There was this whole thing where he called 911, said, I found something, get here. And then they call him back. And then he's telling them where they're at. And and then then they go to the wrong place and then they go to the right place and then they don't know who, who all was there. And then the family had gone to meet the police at the other place and then bring them back to Luke. And then they assumed Luke. So it's, it, it seemed now in their defense, from what I understand, this is an extremely low, like this isn't something that, you know, this isn't Baltimore where they're dealing with murders every day. Like, like, They've never dealt with anything like this before, uh, so yeah, i'll I'll give them a little bit of credit there, but it seems like this was just absolutely botched from the very beginning of this investigation.
3: yeah, well, that is all I have. uh I say all, but we just had a very long follow up because we had so much to discuss, and
2: yeah, so you guys and you listen to this on Friday and it's an hour and fifteen minutes long. Remember that when Saturday, Sunday's episode is 12 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, oh, no. There's a little bit of me that is because remember, guys, I'm doing mm-hmm. all of the editing and everything by myself. Uh, and there's a little bit of me that uh, my blood pressure is spiking, looking at the time on the roadcaster right now that when am I going to get this done? That being said, if you're in the live YouTube right now and you are anxiously awaiting the next episode of the reply reply brief on Adnan's case uh, for tomorrow, which will be Wednesday, um, my my plan is 100% to get it out Wednesday. It will 100% not be out at 6 a.m. Wednesday because I have it almost finished the writing of it. I still have to record it and I still have to edit it. Um, so the the I. I intend to get it out tomorrow. Uh, it just may not be at 6 in the morning. If you're listening to this on Friday, it's already out. And just pretend <laughs> it was out at 6 a.m. on. You could probably just cut that whole thing
1: out. Yeah. Correct. Yeah.
3: Gave yourself some more editing. Um, yeah. This feels like a really good opportunity for me to do something that you, I will not let you cut out, which is if those of you who just are listening to this and heard the announcement that Bob will, in fact, be releasing the his coverage, his reply briefs on Uh, that particular uh, podcast's coverage and you're like, oh, but I joined Patreon for exactly that reason. I would just remind you, number one, you're still getting early access to them. Uh, And number two, stay with us. This Porsche love is having to edit his own podcast. We don't want that. Let me tell you, none of us want that. We want him focusing on the work and uh, not to say editing isn't an art. It is. But just someone else needs to be doing that fine art so that he can stay focused. He's doing too many things right now. We need your support. I, i'm sorry but you know again just we love you on patreon for supporting because that is making this possible and ideally will create a situation in which bob is not doing his own editing
2: <laughs> well i very much appreciate that and i do appreciate all the patrons if you do want to hear the and again i at the same time with all that being said i'm a hundred percent fine if you just want to wait until october and hear that series for free uh, i don't want to i don't want to like that's why i'm that's why that. i'm
3: putting the pressure on and and oh. and it gave me the opportunity <laughs> okay. as Teresa just pointed out it to call you a schlub
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's true i appreciate calling me a schlub with, i gotta stop talking we're an okay. hour 23 Goodbye. minutes in. we love you guys we love you guys we'll see you next week bye guys Is an NBI Studios production. All music for the show is created and composed by Shane Yoder at PutThemInAsong.com. The font you see on all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com, Design Created, manages and maintains our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our volunteer transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhinney, Courtney Wimberly, Erica Cantor, Melissa Cardenas, Kay Yomnick, and Danielle Rohr. And as always, thank you to all of you for your engagement and your support. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that in a number of ways. The number one way for you to support our work is to become a patron at patreon.com slash truthandjustice. If you join our Patreon, not only will you be financially supporting our work, but you'll also get something for your pledge. For just $5 per month, you'll get all episodes ad-free and also a video version of the Friday follow-ups that include an hour-long pre-show chat exclusive to our patrons. Other levels will get you a Truth and Justice Army t-shirt, Truth and Justice hats, and even the opportunity to co-host a Friday follow-up episode. Just go to patreon.com truthandjustice to sign up. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. It doesn't cost you a penny, and it goes a long way towards making the show more visible. If you have a case that you'd like us to consider covering, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at Truth, Janet can be found at Janet Varney, and Zach is at Z to the Q. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver.
3: And I'm Janet Varney.
2: And this has been justice.